Hello and welcome to Chilenial Horrors, the podcast where we look back at the horror movies of the noughties and reassess, reappraise and think about how we felt about them when they first came out, how they stand up today and generally kind of look back at a really fantastic decade for horror that was incredibly varied and full of incredible, um, lots of incredible movies, incredible variety of different movements and subgenres. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at a genre or a collection of movies that feel like they had a tremendous influence on the horror genre and cinema as a whole throughout the noughties and I think an influencer is still being felt today. And we're going to start in 1999 and originally I think this episode we were going to try and look at um, a lot more than we are going to end up looking at. I think even in my initial plan I was like oh we can do 1999 to 2005 and then I realised that actually all five of the movies that we're going to be talking about in this episode came out in a very small stretch of time between 1999 and 2002, I think, or 2003 maybe, which seems absolutely bananas that these kind of five really important and I think connected movies came out in such a short space of time. So we're going to be looking at uh, Hideo Nakata's Ring, which came out in 1999. We're going to be looking at his arguably an even better movie than Ring, Dark Water, which came out in 2002. We're looking at Takashi Shimizu's Grudge, or Jew on the Grudge. We're looking at Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Pulse, or Cairo. And we're looking at Takashi Miike's 1999 movie, Audition, which feels perhaps like it doesn't really fit in with the rest of these movies, but I think it feels like we have to talk about it, and I think there are some interesting connections <laughs> to be made. There definitely are, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm Jonathan Hatful. I'm Sarah Dobbs. Yeah, so this, this episode we're joined by Hayley Scanlon, who is a really fantastic writer that we're really excited to have on, who uh, runs the website Windows on Worlds. Hayley has a particular interest in Asian cinema and Japanese movies. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we just start, yeah, start by talking about Ring, which feels like one of those landmark, kind of groundbreaking movies where there's definitely, it seems like there's before Ring and after Ring in horror movies. It really just set the tone and kind of set a, set a template I think for a lot of ghost stories and it obviously fits into a grand tradition of Japanese ghost stories and Japanese revenge movies it feels a bit like if you don't know yeah you probably know what rings about if you're listening to this podcast but yeah it's the one with the haunted videotape where if you watch it you have seven days and then at the end of those seven days Sadako's coming to get you um and I think I first saw ring Definitely after I saw the American remake, because I was a teenager at this point, and I remember the American remake of The Ring being kind of everywhere. Everyone was talking about it. Everyone wanted to see it. Everyone kind of was doing the seven days prank phone calls. Um, so yeah, I I kind of came to it already knowing what the twist was. I already knew kind of someone would be coming out of the telly at the end. Um, Sarah, what was your first memory of watching Ring? I I saw The Ring, the, the American remake first too. Um, I saw that at the cinema in my first year of university and it scared me senseless. Um, I don't think I did know what was coming. I think I don't, I, I just, I can remember really clearly in that one, um, after they kind of bring her out of the well and you think that's going to be the happy ending. I mean, spoilers, but like, yeah, like you said, surely everyone knows by now. Um, but that... That feels like, yeah, that should be the happy ending. They've saved the day. They've put the ghost to rest. Everyone's happy. And it was like the fact that, um, oh, what are their names in the remake? Is it Noah and Rachel? Like, don't go home together. In the cinema, I was like, oh, that's weird. That's not a happy ending. It's not over yet. <laughs> and I've just been really scared. And then you get the, the bit where she comes out of the TV and, 
Like, I didn't want to sleep in a room with a TV or even a computer monitor ever again after that. <laughs> um, but yeah, then, then yeah, we're not talking about the remake. So the the Japanese one, I think I saw a couple of months after that. I think we bought a DVD box set, maybe, from, like, MVC or one of those other DVD shops that doesn't MVC, exist anymore yeah. and sat and watched that in our student house. And I think at the time it probably didn't have quite the same impact on me because they're, they're very they're quite similar so I think yeah once you kind of know that it's coming some of that impact is lost but I've definitely come to appreciate it more over the years I think how about you Hayley yeah I, can't remember, I definitely saw the Japanese one first before the US remake but I, can't, I think that I already knew really about the you know there was a long-haired ghost that was going to mm-hmm. come out on TV I think I already knew that bit but I had the same kind of experience where you get to the end and then like you assume that when they find the body that's their like happy ending and it's all over the curse is gone and then you're like but what is the rest of the film it hasn't like stopped well, it's stopped now but it hasn't and then you're like oh and then you have that whether the heroine is kind of morally compromised at the end where she makes a decision she knows like she can save her son but she'll have to sacrifice somebody else to do it which is mm. it's a price for a lot of the time it's kind of not really how i expected it to yeah. end yeah for sure it's not it's definitely like there isn't a happy ending is there there's 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 almost an apocalyptic ending because you're like oh that's it then it's gonna have to have to keep going keep going until you get like sadako herd immunity or something (laughs) (laughs) i think yeah that sort of the the family dynamic throughout i think is really interesting because i think it's set up like i think the relationship between her and her ex-husband um it's really interesting how like i think throughout the film like he sort of seems like the one who's seems to be taking charge to quite a lot of it and it seems to be the one who's kind of a lot more practical in terms of like oh you've only got this many days left i'm going to go out here and do this and do this research and he's got that sort of second sight or the he's got that sort of slightly supernatural thing going on and it's so even though like, i've seen it a few times now but it's such a great sort of misdirect that yeah obviously he's the one who gets it and i love that it's just yeah and it's yeah uh, hiroyuki sanada he's such a great actor and he's got such an amazing presence and but even he like it's it is like a like you said, like the ending's really bleak, but there's all this stuff throughout the film where they're really, yeah. like they come talk about, oh, maybe we should be giving up or something, or maybe we've deserved this because we're, we're, we're screwed up in life. Um, and that really definitely ties into, I think a lot of the films we're gonna be talking about where this really sort of, um, yeah, pretty miserable outlook on life. I think it's really like a, like a lot of depression and lack of connection that's, with people. That's interesting. Cause I, yeah, I wrote down that line where he says, uh, he's talking about how their, their son has seen the video as well and he says maybe all three of us should die we should never have had a child yeah. um, interested in how you took that did you think that meant like he thought they're bad parents or what did like because I wondered if he was referring to his like supernatural abilities and kind of saying like oh I'm unnatural but I don't know I read it as yeah that they'd they'd been bad parents and that they'd yeah that their failure as parents had meant that he had seen the video right. Yeah, which is pretty grim. <laughs> and yeah, well, that's obviously like a lot more, I was going to try not to talk too much about the American remake, but that's sort of, it feels like a lot more comfortable in the American remake, the sort of like bickering exes. And in this one, it feels like they don't have that relationship at all. They're just sort of, it's a lot more kind of unspoken or their sort of past or whatever, yeah, the issues that they had as a couple, just sort of it, this kind of living with it. Yeah, it's just a lot sadder. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. I think there's a lot in there about how she's a bad mother as well um because there's a line about um like where i think it's when they go to track down the the island where the things come from and he says you know will will the uchi be okay by himself and she's like he's used to it and you're like mm, oh yeah. 
okay, so you're just admitting you leave your child by himself all the time. That's not great. Love that shot as well. It's really, it's, it's, I think it's the first time you see, um, yeah, you see the father, but when they meet in the rain and there's walking along the pavement and they just pass each other because it's just, he's like, I'm not comfortable talking yeah. to my son. Yeah, well, yeah he's an absent father and she's a terrible mother. And, and I think, weirdly, that struck me so much more on this watch that that's what this story is kind of about because that echoes the, the dynamic mm. with Sadako and her, her family. The Sadako stuff is interesting. So I had completely forgotten before this last rewatch about all the um, the business with the, the psychic, the ESP, basically the, the entire backstory of uh, Sadako's family, which seems very kind of big, I think, in relation to a lot of the other, kind of the mood of the film. It seems like quite a bold choice to go to. And it's based on the novel by... Uh, Koji Suzuki. Koji Suzuki, yeah. And I've never, I haven't read the novel. I think it does, it is a lot more sci-fi from what I've read. So I think there was a sequel uh, called Razen that uh, I have seen and gets a lot. It's the one that was made before Ring came out, I think. And then they made Ring 2 to make another yes. more ringy Ring film. And it's, uh, yeah, a lot more kind of, genre, obviously, genre-y. It's a lot kind of gorier and sexier and weirder. But yeah, all the psychic ESP stuff, I don't know, how, how did you guys find that? Because I think it, my brain had flushed it, like because it didn't seem that relevant. Yeah, I think it's not something you immediately remember, especially you remember just like the scary ghost, I guess, and the scary ghost is coming to get you, and the technological aspect of the, the videotapes and the phone calls. So you don't really connect those two things being on two kind of separate planes, like the ESP, and then there's this kind of man-made kind of extrasensory network from the media, I guess, and the, the telephone lines and all that kind of uh, means of communication. I guess you kind of forget that when you're after the film is finished. Hmm. I wonder if that's partly like a cultural thing in that that mythology is so completely uh, unfamiliar to us that we kind of glom onto the bit that's like, oh, the videotape and the phone, like she's going to get me. <laughs> you sort of forget the, the, the Japanese mythology. I don't know. Um, I did think it was, it was interesting all that all that folklore. The um, I I feel like it's a bad translation. The frolic in brine, goblins be thine line. And that just <laughs> sounds so, like nursery rhyme. And then I was kind of looking up and trying to find if there was a more literal thing. And it's just like if you keep playing in the water, a monster will come for you or something. <laughs> Which yeah, okay. <laughs> I just feel like the other. I mean, obviously that kind of the. the um, the kind of cursed object thing feels a lot easier to latch onto, and that, it just seemed like that's kind of what seemed to be more of an inspiration for other horror movies going forward. I guess like just think about like films like One Miss Call and stuff like that, kind of later on, and just all those things. But it's like, oh, the main thing that you need to remember is that this thing is cursed, and if you do this, then you're going to get it. One of the things I really loved is is that kind of mood of like I love the rain, and I love that it. it's kind mm -hmm. of um, just very subdued through a lot of it. Just kind of on all those kind of trips out on the boats to kind of go somewhere different, kind of like this kind of leaving leaving the kind of the city to go and explore the countryside where this thing came from. Yeah, I find all that stuff great. So when I was I was trying to research this and I was um Googling and going back to websites that I haven't looked at since about two thousand three. Um I don't know if you ever saw the website Mandy Apple, Snowblood Apple, they did a visual comparison of all the different ring films. So obviously Ring and The Ring, but like also the, the Korean version, Ring Virus. Um, and it's all gone now and I'm, I'm so sad. I'm like the website's there, but the pictures are all broken. It's like, no. Oh. Um, but yeah, what the thing that I was gonna say about that is that I found a lot of sort of fan theories that Sadako and her mom, whose name temporarily escapes me, uh, are based on real psychics. And there's a real, real 
researcher and it really happened um and I was kind of trying to do research into that and I was like this this is just made up <laughs> this is purely like this is some Blair Witch fanfic kind of thing happening <laughs> here and that like I'm pretty sure none of that's real because the only places I could find any reference to any of these people was like horror movie forums and they're all from about 2002 as well <laughs> <laughs> which I sort of like is that and it, it's very it's very ring in that like the whole point of ring seems to be that this um the idea or the image is a virus and it's a contagion it's going to spread out in its different ways so yeah kind of like that in a way I guess, yeah, that, that does lead very neatly into Pulse, uh, directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, which is based off his own screenplay. And I don't think, I think a lot of the films we've talked about are based on novels or short stories, and Pulse is his own, but it also feels extremely post-ring in that it's, yeah, it's a film about, yeah, in this one, the internet's wanted. And it's <laughs> kind of several, there's a couple of different character strands, but basically different characters are realising that the internet is haunted and that there are ghosts in chat rooms waiting to, to come through. Um, and it starts off as an extremely kind of very ring type scenario where there's even like a, there's a there's a disc there's an internet startup disc that one of the characters installs and it I ask them would you like to see a ghost? I love that bit. Yeah, it's so good. And then but yeah then and then kind of develops into this incredibly yeah po- apocalyptic storyline that kind of gets bigger and bigger. And this was on I only saw this a couple of years ago I think Pulse I kind of was aware of it but it doesn't feel like it gets talked about anywhere near as much as some of the others we're going to be talking about today. And I think that actually there are bits in Pulse that scare me more than any other uh, Japanese horror movie. I think the first hour of Pulse is incredibly frightening. And I remember watching it by myself uh, for the first time and swearing really loudly at my TV <laughs> in an empty house. There's a couple of bits and it just really get me. Um, but yeah, what, what were your guys' first memories of watching, of watching Pulse? I can't remember when I first saw it. I think I first saw it around the time it came out, but... Um... I guess because it came towards the end of that J-horror boom, but it's quite different from all the like J-horror stuff that come before it. It's much more, I guess, autorist, mm. it's slow and creepy, and it's about atmosphere much more than it's about like direct scares. And that fear of there's something that you can't see that's in the darkness that's just waiting there, and then you turn around and then you're like, oh. But same as Ring in a way, there's this um, technological anxiety of this new like means of communication that might not be entirely good for you and a, a sort of anxiety that that means of communication might actually be dividing you from people rather than allowing you to make more connections and make more human joy in your life then um, maybe it's actually a, a barrier to that I think there's that technological anxiety there and also about um, people not really knowing what to do with their lives and that kind of in this new kind of stagnant economy but at the same time, when I watched it again, it's actually much more positive than I remembered because, spoilers a bit, but the heroine gets to the end. She mm. says, well, I've decided to live. I'm just going to live until I can't live anymore, which is actually a much more positive message, I think, than you have in some other films in that era, which are more nihilistic and say, oh, there's nothing, there's no point, there's nothing that we can live for and no future. But she does actually decide that there is something out there for her and she's going to go and look for it, whether it's there or not, which I think is a mm. positive message, really. That bit reminded me of the end of... Uh, is it is it Day of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead where they're on the boat at the end and they're going to like an uninfected island mm. or that might or might not be there yeah. that sort of reminded me of that that they're just setting out on a boat into the unknown and they don't know if there's going to be like anyone there or not yeah I'd completely forgotten about that um, about the ending until I watched, re-watched it I think I had that in my head that yes it was a lot like 
Yeah, yeah, like he made Cure as well, which is an incredibly bleak, horrible film, which is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd remembered it more as a, of a spiral of kind of just misery. But that bit at the end, yeah, where he's um, yeah trying to setting out. Uh, yeah, I think it depends maybe on your mindset when you watch it, like whether you think that they're heading off into nothingness, or or whether you take it like like you did that she's going to live and that maybe it'll be okay. <laughs> like I think a lot of these maybe sort of depend. I'll come back to this thought later, but like depend on your mindset when you're watching it or your frame of mind. But yeah, I was thinking like throughout this film, there's a lot of like, um, they say something like death is where nothing changes, right? You're just stuck in, mm. in, in wherever you were when you died that you're just stuck in that loop. And I was like, well, surely that is an argument for like doing as much awesome stuff as possible, <laughs> having the best time. So that when you die, you're like, great, I'm stuck here for eternity. It's lovely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's so so creepy this one but i wish it wasn't so long because there's a point to this film where i'm just like come on just like get moving (laughs) please um i don't think it needs to be two hours but it's got some good stuff i I think it's interesting that jonathan you said the beginning's scary what was what was the bit is it the the woman like and the strange movement it's the woman doing the stumble yeah that gets me every time i think it is just that um it's that really uncanny mood throughout the first hour where I think it's mm. um, one of those one of those things in ghost stories or horror movies that always gets me is when the thing has already started by the time you join a story. So that scene right at the start where she goes to visit her friend who um, yeah kills himself like just without any warning for her, and the idea that this whatever it is is already in progress. So you kind of keep seeing things like the um, people putting the red tape around the doors to to keep the dead in essentially or keep them out. And yeah, it's the wheels of wheels have already started turning. And I think there's a and also the yeah, the scene that we talked about when um yeah, that he puts in the the startup desk and the idea that oh so whatever's happening now, like it's you've done it. It's it's started. Yeah, it's too late. They're already here, they're already coming. It's sort of it's like um it's almost like you're watching something like like Ghostbusters but instead of following the heroes you're just like on the ground and there's just the people being like there's just ghosts everywhere shit like (laughs) we don't know what to do about this it's just happening and uh oh dear but yeah obviously without any of the comedy side of that just it's just what can you do but accept that death is coming and yeah I guess actually do you know what that's why I was thinking about Romero's because there's a line about if the wherever they are the other realm the like the realm of the dead and the ghosts is full then they're going to spill out into this mm, world yeah, which is very when yeah when there's no more room in hell the dead will walk the earth or whatever it is like that i think i hadn't realized that until i just thought that but i think that was probably why my brain was going in that direction i think it's a yeah, thing about what Haley said as well that um yeah there's kind of themes of um kind of like nihilism and stuff like that that they are they are young characters in this so they're all students yeah and that just seems incredibly like cruel in a way that this um yeah the people who are kind of at the kind of ground zero for whatever is happening here who are forced to confront all this kind of because it's yeah it's about yeah like it's like loneliness and disconnection and uh no future basically uh the people who are being forced to confront this and like <laughs> this kind of period of time are yeah the younger people who are kind of at university and like living alone and i think that's it as well it's all the like the everyone's sad little rooms it's just everyone's kind of got like the tatami floor and like the bed and the fridge and the computer and that's kind of it it's just it's also kind of sad like a lot of it it is but the guy with the internet startup disc he's almost in a comedy like i love that bit where he's talking to the girl in the computer science lab and she's like 
well, what's the what's the URL? He's like, I don't know what you mean. And she's like, well, just click on it. And he's like, no, whoa, 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 write it down for me. <laughs> he's like, oh, this guy's not going to be any use. That's Yeah, that does date a little bit, I guess. I love it. And when he's talking to that guy, he's sort of like, oh, uh, yeah, like, what happens? And someone's like, oh, it's probably a hacker. It's like, ah, oh, hacker. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, to just throw this back into proper darkness, the whole... Um, like black shadows left behind mm. when someone dies that's very like hiroshima isn't yeah. it like that is what that's supposed to conjure in your head and it's horrendous definitely yeah that's such a striking image and uh i think yeah when you finally see it happen to someone they're just kind of gone in an instant i think i remember in the yeah, obviously try not to talk about the american remakes too much but yeah the american remake you see someone getting pulled into it and it's just kind of naff but in this one she's just she's just gone and then there's a shadow kind of that gets uh, blown away by the wind it's awful yeah the worst one's that woman that like throws herself off a water tank yes. and then just like and you're like okay i was all in for this like very sad moody whatever but that was like really quite graphic like visceral oh like you've just seen someone die it's horrible like Haley was saying like this is definitely more of an auteurist one i think kiyoshi kurosawa mm. is a really fascinating director um writer director and I think it's interesting like I think he does seem to be the one because obviously Takashi Miike with audition which we're talking about in a bit is completely like um you can't pin him down to any real genre <laughs> and Kishikurasara as well feels very like he seems like he started out in horror and is now sort of comes back to it occasionally um will make the odd kind of horror film like creepy or something but yeah this seems it's he's definitely a really interesting filmmaker like Cure, Cure was one I hadn't seen until very recently as well and instantly became obsessed by and there was one that I was going to mention as being a bit like a similar these kind of bleak. Oh, Bright Future. Yeah, that he made immediately after Cure that is incredibly bleak. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Just making a career out of depressing people about the lack of future, dude. Journey to the Shore is another great story that he made. And it's really kind of, that's really beautiful and moving. It's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, a really interesting kind of director moving about genres. Do you know what I, the one thing that I found by doing this kind of rewatch for this time round that's so different from the first time round for me is that like, it used to be so difficult to find these films. Like you used to have to go to a physical shop and route through and maybe they'd have something and maybe they wouldn't and like, or you'd have to order it and you'd have to like try and track down these obscure films. Whereas now I can just type in like Pulse and and YouTube's like, do you want to watch it immediately for one ninety nine? <laughs> it's like, this is insane. Like, you used to have to spend like twenty five quid on an import DVD, and like you find down the back of some independent. Yeah, it's mad. I know, I know that like yes, times change and technology changes, but I think it's just really, really hit me with like this was so hard the first time round to watch all these movies, <laughs> and now there's no effort involved at all. I think a lot of us, a lot of people our age, have a real nostalgia for Tartan Asia Extreme, um, which I think is how a lot of people yeah. came to so many of these movies. And it was, I think that's partly why it's so, I think, tempting for a lot of us to try and group these movies together because we would just kind of look for that label mm. and just be like, oh, this will be good because yeah. it's yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of it's an Asian horror movie, and then they kind of obviously develop a greater understanding of national cinema and specific subgenres and as you kind of get older. Yeah. Yeah, Hayley, I was wondering kind of like where did your kind of interest kind of start with um yeah, kind of Asian movies? I don't I can't quite remember. I think I was always just kind of uh in cinema. I remember my father worked a lot in the Far East, so he would bring back a load of like uh, Hong Kong VCDs and things like so I think I just built up an interest from there watching all these kind of random kung fu films and horror films and all kind of hmm. stuff that you could get on a cheap bcd i guess in hong kong um 
and stuff like that and it grew from there I think, I think I, I, yeah I definitely came at it through horror but I think through um yeah through kind of remakes first and then kind of being like oh well, I should see the one where it came from it's kind of moving on to Dark Water I guess that's an interesting one because it yeah again like a really different mood from uh for a lot of these movies again but again like a really sad melancholy one but I think would have was definitely advertised I remember the kind of the British DVD kind of being like yeah this is terrifying kind of like yeah you to death <laughs> and stuff like that it is it, it frequently is terrifying I think I thought I knew this film like inside out I was like I've seen Dark Water a bunch of times I don't really need to rewatch it I know this film but like I don't know it hits different so we should probably rewind and say it's a film about a single mother who moves into an apartment block by herself with her young daughter um, there's like a patch of dark water on the on the on the ceiling and and the water is getting into everything and it turns out there's a ghost in the water but yeah there's a bit where she's towards the end where she's like running away from the ghost and she's kind of scooped her child up and then she sees her daughter down the corridor and literally like my skin just went out in goosebumps like i just like oh my god like the child you've got in your arms is the ghost ah yeah that bit's so well done <laughs> that's incredible that bit and yeah and yeah it's Hideo Nakata again he did yeah did ring um and you can see, like, it does, and it, again, it's based on, uh, I think this is based on a book of short stories mm-hmm. or novella by, um, yeah, Koji Suzuki, uh, who also, who wrote the novel of Ring. And yeah, there are definitely similarities, again, sort of like, um, kind of struggling single mother, like, is, although in this one, the ex is absolutely a total bastard. He really is. And I think what I'm kind of watching it again now is just sort of, I think as you get older, you kind of really just feel the sort of uh, everyday hardships and everyday difficulties a lot more. So there's things like, awful custody battles like the worst estate agent criminally culpable uh, building manager it's just yeah i think that's one of the things that i think it does really well is it really grounds you in this reality than ring which i guess kind of goes for scares from kind of because yeah i mean we mentioned it but that first scene in ring just still is absolutely terrifying with the two teenage girls talking about it they play scared so well don't they they, they really do. like they their reactions sell that completely oh so good and yeah, this one kind of begins with like, yeah, sort of sadness and little girls being left behind at school in the rain waiting for their parents to come pick them up. But yeah, so this one I definitely, again, I saw it after the remake. I saw the remake with Jennifer Connelly first, which is like fine, but uh, I've got a friend who's, this is like his favourite horror movie. Um, so I've heard, I'd had it very hyped before I watched it and it definitely lived up to it. I think it's, yeah, it's incredible, I think. But yeah, what were your guys' first memories of watching Tom Water? Yeah, I think again, I watched it before I saw the remake. So I, saw, I think I saw it, fairly soon after it came out maybe I think really sort of similar to Ring it's kind of interesting if you contrast those two kind of single mother scenarios and they're kind of a, a strong anxiety about the way society is changing and traditional family is changing and maybe it's not quite well is this woman okay to look after her daughter on her own can she like she goes to the interview and the guy's just not really paying attention to her and she's just sitting there thinking I have to get back to the school and then she's thinking about herself as a child and her mother not coming and like the way everyone viewed her mother for not picking her up mm. from school and all those anxieties about whether it's really okay for a woman to be on her own with her child and bring her child up that way without a father and also similarly in the ring where you have this career woman and she leaves the kid on his own all the time and she's just like oh can you eat your dinner up again because I'm going to be late and that kind of thing and you have this really strong anxiety about the various ways that the society is changing which is kind of it imbues this separate from the like supernatural horror, but it's kind of in there as an additional anxiety, I think. Yeah, I think Dark Water, by the time anything supernatural is happening, you're already at such a pitch of just like, yeah, it's anxiety rather than fear, but you just, mm. like everything goes wrong. Like you're saying with the, the, like, the adult thing of just thinking like, oh my God, like how are you going to get that dealt with? Like 
just just more stress you don't need <laughs> like the electrics are all flickering and you're like oh my god is this place even safe and and kind mm. of no because if you think about the water that they're drinking bleh. um i i think i'm pretty sure i saw this one before the remake and i don't remember anything about the remake yeah it's so good and so sad and so yeah and that like i guess both of them are ultimately kind of about motherhood and that they both have that scene where there's the mother who's kind of trying to save her own living child but also ends up like cradling the dead child and having to kind of have those maternal feelings towards this malevolent spirit it's just i don't know i just i find dark water so heartbreaking um and i think i used to think it was just like a, a like a lesser ring like fine but but now watching it as an adult i'm like this is be- i hesitate to say better but i think i think i i like it more yeah i do too i think i think it's interesting i was thinking about how like a lot of american ghost stories about um, moving the hardships of like moving into a new place is always like a, a great start for a ghost story and like in a, a lot of western kind of ghost stories it's kind of like things are normally going well at this point or like there's kind of they want to set up that people are happy before they mm. turn into shreds and I think what's interesting about a lot of these movies is that um, everyone's having a really hard time um, already yeah that it's things are really difficult and it is and it feels like this it runs through all these movies I think that there's a real concern like it People in these in all these films are really struggling. There's got a lot of talk about not just like depression, but the depression as well. Like things are difficult kind of any way you look at them for these characters a lot of the time. Um and yes, she's looking for a job as well. And yeah, all of it's just really hard. And it's interesting that the, most of them like Ring is like the least urban of them all, but they're all set in cities. And I guess that, that's kind of all that sort of you're alone here when you're surrounded by people kind of thing. But yeah, she's got like such a lack of support from yeah, kind of everyone. Yeah. There's that nice lawyer who comes in, but even he doesn't really fix anything. He just explains what happened. <laughs> is that part of it? Do you think it's part of? It's almost like um, I mean, it's not, but it's almost like that fear of moving from you know like villages where everyone's a community and knows each other to this big city where everyone's a stranger and this isolation. I, my Japanese political knowledge is like non-existent, but <laughs> that feels like we're we're dealing with that. And I guess a lot of American horror also kind of plays with that city and rural like tension is a lot of like going to a cabin in the woods where the city mm. kids get got so yeah maybe that's just a thing everywhere that we're just worried that we don't we don't have that community anymore anywhere yeah essentially yeah like in america sort of yeah i think like a lot of the horror films we talked about already in the podcast like that's the, the countryside's where you go to get got <laughs> 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 yeah yeah i think this the idea of i don't know it's just something so brilliant about having a horror movie like a ghost story that's set in a, a block of flats where kind of it's your space but it's not really like you still have to rely on everyone to get stuff fixed and the building's compromised because it's so old and that's like someone yeah and yeah the idea that something terrible has happened to a, a story above you like a floor above you and you don't know until oh, it floods your, yeah. floods your flat god yeah I think it's, there's so many like really I love the way that um the kind of the sequence is shot in the past of that kind of like yellow filter and everything's a bit more kind of kilted to one side it's just it's really beautifully made and those shots of like the backpack hitting the water it's just ah yeah no it's so well done <laughs> and it's just frustrating because I think Hideo Nakata has never really done anything like, close to this, as good as this since then I've not seen everything he's done but I've seen a few of his kind of later horror movies and there's really nothing kind of on the on this level of craft I don't think I think about the ending of Dark Water as well, how it's just so incredibly heartbreaking that that's the decision that she has to make. She wants to protect her daughter. And I do think it's interesting kind of 
yeah, both Ring and Dark World to have those kind of endings where it's sort of, yeah, it's a horrible choice to be made and it's not a good one. Your kind of options are all bad and you just need to kind of choose which one you're going to go with. And it's nice that Dark Water has that kind of the coda where um, the daughter is is older and goes back to visit her mum. But then that's got that horrible stinger of like, her mum is trapped there forever looking after that little girl. I'd forgotten about that. I'd remembered her just going to look at it and it's like, oh, yeah, sort of like catch up and bond a bit. And it's nice. And then there's that shot where it's kind of like, you just see those feet in the background. Again, sort of just a harsh ending in a lot of ways. I don't know, how do you, how do you guys read that ending? Yeah, I mean, it's like an eternal purgatory for her. But on the other hand, because the whole film has kind of been about her in a custody battle. It's like she's got the best of both worlds, but she will always be the mother with the child stuck in her apartment. So it's kind of like she has assumed the place of the eternal mother in a way. So it's like she's kind of won that. At the same time, she's completely trapped there in a, an eternal limbo of, of just having to be like a mother to a child and nothing else. So it's kind of a, an interesting paradox, I think, there. I guess if Pulse is correct and death is just going to be, we're all just going to be trapped somewhere, then she didn't get too bad a deal, I suppose. <laughs> Could be worse. That's At least true. she's not alone for eternity. I mean, I don't know, stretching now. <laughs> and she does get to check in with her adult daughter and be like, oh, you're fine. Okay, good. So, you know, <laughs> at least she's not wandering. She knows. Really? I don't know. There's not a good answer, is there? There's not, there's not, uh, there's not a good ending to life. Everybody does. That's dies true. Yeah, can't argue with that. <laughs> to uh, existential here. <laughs> well, that's but that feels like a lot of um, the thing that's being pushed in this in the, a lot of these films is like you just have to accept that death is part of life and you can't fight against. I think so death. yeah, and just yeah that the kind of implacable nature of a lot of these ghosts and kind of curses in these movies, where it's just something that will keep coming and and like yeah, in Ring mm-hmm. finding the body is is really not the answer it only makes it stronger it seems um yeah you weren't supposed to help her yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> i remember that really freaking me out in the cinema oh so good <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah pulse like they're just they're coming through it's already too late and if you look at it then you'll feel incredibly sad until you turn to the shadows and this yeah you kind of the only way to really stop the or to make things slightly better is to give in to the ghost and except that you're going to be trapped in purgatory as her new mum forever. And yeah, and then obviously a grudge, uh, which is if you step in and put in his house, then you get it. And yeah. <laughs> probably it feels like the, the mean, like the least negotiable of, of all these horror movies. <laughs> you can't really talk your way out of um, a grudge. <laughs> I mean, you can't really argue with Sadako. You can't be like, look, I know you said seven days, but the thing is, my VCR copier is broken down, so I'm just going to need, like, an extra day or two, if that's okay. Like, she's not going to... Well, maybe she would say yes. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody's ever tried. <laughs> just hold it there, love. <laughs> but, yeah, sorry. The Grudge. Yeah, Grudge. Yeah, which is uh, the the third Grudge film, technically, I think, isn't it? I, I've, I've, yeah. It's the only Japanese Juon Grudge movie that I've I've seen apart from Sadako versus Kayako. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think this is the only kind of version of uh, Juon that I, I know. And yeah, the plot is that uh, there is a house where something terrible happened, and if you step foot in it, the uh, the rage that that spirit died with is so powerful that it stains the house, and you, if you step foot in it, you will die a terrible spooky death very shortly afterwards 
this one I definitely saw after the remake, but I remember going to see it at the uh, Terracotta uh, all night, all, all night horror festival. So it was quite all night, but it was terracotta and it was terror cotta, which I remember thinking was very clever. Um, <laughs> watching with Gyo, 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 the one with the robot fish animation thing. Um, I but yes, I think personally, I I like Juan, but I definitely feel like it doesn't operate on the same kind of level as all the other films that we're talking about. But how do you guys feel about it? I saw the theatrical one first as well. And just remember thinking that it makes no sense. I can't understand. Like, what is the grudge? Because it just it opens with that kind of montage of like something bad happening. There's like a, a violent man and some drawings, I think, and the boy. But you can't quite connect it. You're like, what's happened? What is the grudge? Because it feeds off those two like straight to video horrors. But then the second of the straight to video ones is just like the last half of the first one with more stuff. <laughs> it's very confusing when you watch those two. You're like, hang, hang on, yeah. just, I've seen this. What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, my overriding was like, what is going on? I don't really know what, like, how you're supposed to deal with that. And it's all kind of vignettes that are in and like an odd order. So you're just sitting there at the end trying to think about what is going on. But mainly it's about, I guess, atmosphere and being kind of scared and that the house is haunted and the house is going to get you. And I think in common with um, some of those other kind of vengeful ghost movies, there's like, um, there's not a moral equivalence. It's just her grudges mm. against the entire world. And if you happen to step into her domain, it doesn't really matter if you're a good person or a bad person, you're gonna get what's coming to you from the ghosts. So it's not really anything to do with you. It's just because you personally are a member of society and the ghost is very angry. So it's not, there's nothing you can do to really combat that. You're just unlucky, cosmically unlucky in a sense. I guess the, the uh, Jonathan, you're saying about your negotiable thing, but in terms of like how easy or difficult they are to avoid in the first place, this one's probably the easiest because you have to go yes. into a specific house whereas mm-hmm. like the internet is uh especially now a lot lot harder to avoid so i guess pulse is the thing that's going to get you the most but um i remember seeing this at the cinema as well i think it might be the only one that i saw on a big screen for the first time and i think at that point i'd seen ring and i'd seen dark water and i thought i've got the hang of these japanese films like i understand there's going to be like a slow slow build up and then one big scare at the end and then i went <laughs> to see you on the grudge and that was not the case at all it was like bang 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 constant like ghosts everywhere ghosts everywhere cats everywhere like yeah <laughs> and i just i was there with my friend and we were just we were just like so shaken when I came out. they were just like oh my god <laughs> I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's a fun movie. I think it's just yeah, because yeah, like you said, it is it's a series of vignettes and the kind of like, reverse order. A lot of them kind of winding backwards through kind of to to get you towards the the, the core of what happened. And then yeah, I think I find it watching it like I definitely hit hit a point of kind of being a bit exhausted by it. But some of those scares are so good. Like yeah, just as um, the lift where kind of she's going up in the lift and kind of seeing Toshio, the little boy. Kind of on each floor and there's so many like the under the covers scare is so good yeah i was gonna say it messes with your perception of safety because you know, yes. you, if you're under your duvet they shouldn't be able to get you but she does yeah that is the rule <laughs> that is the rule she just gets under there with you like i don't <laughs> i think yeah that's quite what's really i think after a certain point it does feel like oh kind of where is she mm. where, where is her kayako where's she going to come from next i think by the time it sort of it starts being about those cool girls i think i've kind of yeah, yeah kind of a point of like wait what's the plot of this now yeah. yeah i do find myself like thinking like what 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 are the rules because like now there's schoolgirl ghosts like 
there's only uh, yeah Kayako and Toshio for most of it, and then suddenly there are other ghosts, and you're like, I don't feel like you explain this. I, now I don't, and now nothing is safe. Now everything's just chaos. But I do enjoy. Um, I just enjoy it. Like I think it's it's sillier in a lot of ways than the others. Even though again it has that like deep sadness at the core because it's about a woman and her child who are murdered by the husband and father. Mm-hmm. Like that's horrible. And he killed the cat as well. Like. That's just, just uh, you know, no wonder she's fucking angry. I'm not surprised, but like, <laughs> I, I, I've got a weird soft spot for this film. I think I've watched it more often than any of the others, possibly because it does have that slight sort of like party vibe of just like stuff's constantly happening. You don't need to sit there and soak in the atmosphere. It's just like constant. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think yeah, it's interesting that it, the, the kind of the yeah the domestic violent part it's weird that it starts with that and then switches into feeling like, oh, maybe it's a film about how we kind of treat the elderly. Because, yeah, and obviously they're the people who uh, can see Toshio and Kayako um, before they kind of make their presence known. Um, and I wonder if that's part, like, the confusion is partly because there isn't a protagonist particularly. Yeah. Like, it keeps like, coming it keeps coming up with, like, chapter headings, like, who the next person is going to be. But then you know that they're going to get it, like, because that's the structure. Well, there's lots of different different elements, isn't there? Because, yeah, like, the elderly people who can see them. And that family are living in the house for a little mm. while before they get got. Then there's the other couple where the man becomes possessed and like attacks his partner. And yeah, and then there's the schoolgirls. And then there's the, the other bit with the schoolgirl and the police detective like kind of doing a bit of time slippage where she goes into the house and sees her dad, even though he's like long been got and it's there's a long lot going gone. on and I I just I find this fascinating because Shimizu, like you say, like he'd already made two, mm. well, sort of like one and a half of these movies before he got to this one, um, and then he's made a sequel, and then he's gone to America and done a remake and a sequel, mm-hmm. and I think there's even more than that now. And it's like, what is it about this story that he? What, what's he trying to say? <laughs> he just keeps telling us like, this is this is my truth. This is what I want to put <laughs> into the world. Have it over and over and over again. But you're like, what is this, dude? What are you doing? Yeah, because even the ones he didn't direct, he's, I think he was kind of creatively involved. Yeah, because there's been, I think, at least uh, three or four more Japanese ones before Sadako versus Kayako. Oh, there's a good, like, ten of them in total, I yeah. think. I watched them all a couple of years ago, which is why, yeah, trying to straighten out what happens in each one. Like you said, because it's got all the vignettes as well, and you're like, well, hang on, is that in this one or is that in the other one? Like, there's a really nasty bit, I think, in Due on the Grudge 2, but might also be in The Grudge, or maybe The Grudge 2, where someone has been, like, hanged in a twist of Kayako's hair from the ceiling, and their neighbours keep hearing banging on the wall and they don't know what it is, and it's like Toshio pushing this corpse so that its feet are banging on the wall yes. as it swings. Yeah, yeah. That's so... Like, that one really just made my skin crawl. I was like, oh, just... Again, that thing of like living in an apartment, I guess, and not knowing what's going on around you. But yeah, Blech. I guess that makes sense. It's the most kind of easily franchisable of all of them because it's yeah because there is that kind of the at its essence is so simple. The core of the backstory is one event that you can keep. Well, is it? Or is it? In 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 the grudge, it seems like it, but the more of the sequels you watch, the more convoluted it gets. So it turns out like <laughs> Kayako is maybe not just uh, this wronged woman who was murdered by her abusive husband. She's definitely cheating on him because she's obsessed with someone else but i think she might also be doing some black magic stuff toshio oh. may or may not be his kid may or may not be a what? demon kid like there's a lot like huh. <laughs> okay yeah i'll tell you all that back the kernel of the story is not simple there's loads nothing, of stuff. but like i'm sure there's like yeah i'm sure there's stuff i'm forgetting that just baffling 
Because there's originally, there's like, uh, even before we get to Jewel on the Curse 1 and 2, there are some short films that he made with these characters in that are called like, one of them's 4444444, and I don't remember what the other one's called, but they're basically very short, like just introductions to these characters basically where just nothing happens, but like then there's a ghost. Boom. Um, and one of them just has... Uh, is it that? I can't remember if it's in the short or if it's in one of the others where there's just like 20 kayakos standing outside in the rain swaying menacingly. That's my favourite shot in any grudge movie. <laughs> that sounds cool. <laughs> it is, but somehow it's less scary. Like, if you, I don't know uh, why yeah. if you make more of her, she's less scary. But, um, but yeah, I do think as much as all these films have their scary moments, I think the scariest thing in any of them is just, yeah, Takako Fuji crawling down the stairs. Like, don't need to put any CGI on it, just that woman crawling down the stairs scares the hell out of me. Yeah, oh, that movement, and she has a kind of... It's, yeah, it's it's the one with all the throat noises, and sort of the horrible croaking. I guess, and yeah, that sort of is a very traditional, like, Japanese ghost story image and revenge story image of, yeah, the kind of yeah, wronged woman in white and kind of covered in blood coming back for you. Yeah. Yeah, because it is, like, as, as mad as the structure is, it's a very traditional, like, ghost story at its heart. It's kind of revenge and coming back for justice. Yeah, I was, I was yeah, digging around in this, and it seems like these figures in Japanese folklore have just sort of existed forever. Like, I guess, like, in all folklore, there's always, like, you know, like a woman in white, isn't there? There's always mm. like a, a wronged wife or whatever who's haunting things. Um, but it seems like it comes from like the specific image that we all have of that Japanese ghost in like the white dress, the hair of the face. It comes from like kabuki theatre. That's how they mm. denote like this is the ghost. That that enduring image that was everywhere <laughs> in pop culture at that time. Did ghost kabuki once and was very excited when that basically <laughs> happened. When it was, I was like, ah, yeah, it's from the films. <laughs> I know, like, Takashi Fushimizu is interesting because, like you said, he's someone who seems to have devoted a huge part of his life to making grudge movies um, and going to America's Maiden. But he's also, like, he made Marabito, which is, like, a pretty horrible film in a lot of ways, but it's interesting. It's got a lot more, like, Lovecrafty and paranoid and weird. It's sort of about a man going into the suit, like, underneath Tokyo to find out. Um, yeah, bad stuff. But he's kind of, just looking at his kind of IMDb recently, like he's just, he's made like a Resident Evil animated movie, he made a live action version of Kiki's Delivery Service. Wow. Yeah. He's sort of, he's been all over the place. I think, yeah, obviously like never, never made anything quite as kind of impactful as the Jew on the Grudge. But he is someone who seems to just kind of, it, like you said, it's fascinating that like, he just couldn't stop making this movie. And I'm sure like he'll probably, like, like uh, Hideo Nakato making Sadako, which... I wonder, like, I'm surprised that hasn't come out here at all. Like, Hayley, have you seen Sadako, the 2019? Yes, I have actually. It was at a Fantasia Film Festival. It's kind of interesting as far as I remember that's just, um, is kind of like an anniversary project with uh, Sadako coming back out of her well, but it's much more, it leans much more into the abuse aspect, I think, of ending that cycle of um, abusive violence. Which is what I took from it. Oh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it was a Fantasia or, yeah, kind of come out here at some point. I remember Sadako vs. Kaiko took ages. I remember seeing that at Fright Fest yeah. in Shepherd's Bush and I did enjoy it. I got the giggles quite a lot. <laughs> I hope, well, I think we have got one more to talk about, which is uh, going back to 1999 and to our non-ghost story um, J-horror movie, which is Takashi Miike's Audition, based on the novel by Ryu Murakami. And it is a really... I don't know. It's a weird one because I think Takashi Miike is uh, one of the, yeah, a director who is incredibly prolific and very difficult to pin down. He's made gangster movies, he's made yeah, horror movies, sci-fi movies, comedies, and films that combine all those elements. But yeah, I think Audition is 
one of, I think it's probably it might be his best film and I think it's I think it's really interesting how kind of slow and considered it is while also being incredibly intense and visceral and horrible but the essential plot is that uh, Ryu Ishibashi plays a widower called Aoyama who is convinced several years after the death of his wife by his son by his friends and by various people that he should get married again and he decides to take the offer of his sleazy friend who's a film producer to host a fake audition to essentially audition a new bride and meets Asami and things go um well first they go very according to plan for for our main character and then they go very very south <laughs> but yeah it's an interesting one I remember seeing this this one I saw when I was about 15 I think um at school and I remember having told people that they should watch it because I'd heard it was really good uh and well knowing not very much about it and then dealing with a lot of people being very upset with me for telling them they should watch it <laughs> but I just remember it's my first memories of it were I think basically all about how yeah horrible the ending was it ends in an incredibly brutal kind of torture sequence that's also very delirious and full of potential like dreams um Mm. Uh, kind of hallucinations and fears and what might actually be happening to his legs and skin (laughs) but I think yeah watching it again I've seen it a couple of times since and there's so much depth to it and so many kind of ways to read it I think it's absolutely fascinating Uh, but yeah what what do you guys what are your guys first memories of it and what do you what do you think because the first part is such a standard romance (laughs) that people always play it in a double bill or shall we dance or something like that and um, you're just not really <laughs> expecting you know, the sack the moves sack. and you're like, oh, okay, oh, it's God, not expecting. But then it just, it got lumped in with J-Horror and it's not quite really what J-Horror had been up to that point. But then it's playing with that idea of like, she's not a ghost, but she's got the long, dark hair and she's acting like a vengeful ghost, really. I mean, she's not quite a whole human person. She has this kind of um, different kind of quality to her. She's very kind of imbued with this sense of unease, even maybe from the beginning when you think she's sweet and innocent. You can tell there's something, even his friend says, I don't know, I don't think this is a good idea. Maybe if you think about it more. And he's like, no, she's perfect. But he thinks she's perfect because he's attracted maybe to death in a sense, because he sees that she's suffered greatly in her life. And he also thinks he has suffered because he's a widower and he's, you know, quite sad and alone. And he responds to that quality in her, which I think more has that sense of uh, being Mm. haunted in a sense, but in reality. Yes, I got a lot. It felt a lot more like that when I rewatched it this morning. But um, I re I saw it for the first time when I was at university, and it was on TV, but really late at night. I think it was like two a.m. or something. It was on, and I get like you. All what basically what I knew about it was it was like really really extreme and gory. So my housemate and I were like, "We'll stay up and watch this film that we've heard so much about," <laughs> and um, so we did. And then it started, and and we're like have we got the wrong film? Because <laughs> this doesn't seem like it's going anywhere very extreme or gory. Like, you literally get about, I think it's about 45 minutes or mm. something before you see the sack. And that's like your first like real confirmation that something is wrong. <laughs> um, so I think like, yeah, the first time I watched it, I did have almost the ideal experience with it where you don't know very much about it. And then, yeah, it explodes into that ending and you're like, oh shit, you just, well, I'm not going to sleep now. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, having watched it this morning, and I think thinking about all these other films as well, I did get a lot more of that 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 feeling that um that there's a lot of kind of hints along the way that something is not right with her, and that he is being drawn towards his fate in a way that he kind of almost can't resist. Because mm. even like the first time uh, she comes into the audition, and his mates like, 
I don't know what it is, but something's a bit wrong with her. And then, like, they start trying to research her past and everyone she's ever mentioned is dead or missing. <laughs> and, and, and and he's just like, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. She'll have an explanation. But, like, everyone seems to just say, like, oh, something just a bit off with her. And, yeah, isn't there? <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think, like, I've gone back and forth with this because I've watched it, yeah, several times since then. And sometimes I think he's such a nasty sleazeball, he deserved it. This morning, maybe I was feeling a bit more uh, fragile, and I just was just really sad for him because I know he, he's a bit of a dick in that like middle-aged businessman. Like I've got some money now, I'm going to get a young wife kind of way. But yeah, he has he has suffered like that a bit at the beginning with the the son taking the get well soon mom yeah, present to the hospital and she's dead. Oh, um, yeah, and like yeah, that's pretty horrible. When you look around their house, there's pictures of of his wife everywhere like he obviously really loved her and missed her and and that is pretty horrible having to watch the person you love be sick and die so to some degree i do feel sorry for him and it isn't his idea to have the audition though he does go along with it it's it's but it's always just seems like little chance things like he spills his coffee over the pile of applications and it goes on hers so he pulls it out and is like captivated by her photograph but it just it's that thing of like I mean, yeah, this is me seeing everything through a Western frame again, but it is almost it is almost like, oh, let's go to that cabin in the woods. And everyone along the way is going, oh, we don't want to go that way. And you're like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And you just, you know, you you have to go there. Whatever it is that's like driving you towards this end, no matter what anyone says, that's going to happen. And it's like almost kind of a, a, a done deal. That's your destiny kind of thing. Mm. I'd forgotten about the... Yeah, towards the end when he's kind of slipping in and out of what might be real and what's not, when he's having yes. a, a conversation with her, uh, with Asami in the restaurant and then like sees his dead wife at another table with the rest of his family. And he's like, oh, I wanted to introduce you to Asami. This is going to be my new, I'm going to ask her to marry me. And his wife's just like, no, don't do that. Like something very wrong with her. Like, no, 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 she's fine. So does that mean even he knows? He Because that's his subconscious, isn't it? Like that's his kind of hallucination. I think maybe there's a bit of subtext in there that you don't know how much of this is his kind of progeny in the sense that he's when the son says oh i'm frightened of women i don't understand them or something like that but it's just yeah really afraid of falling in love again or getting married again mm. and he's projecting mm. all of that fear onto her maybe unfairly in his subconscious he's him saying mm. no don't do it don't get married again you'll just get hurt again but then obviously there is something quite like that as yes, it turns out so yeah i guess there's the kind of playing with those patriarchal ideas and he's very kind of a product of a patriarchal society i guess even if he's kind of sweet and sensitive in a sense he still goes along with everything because he thinks he won't be punished because the society says really it's okay for men yeah he can't see past that that privilege but i mean yeah well obviously he is he's a product of the patriarchy like there is some point of me that part of me that's like not sure he deserved to get his foot sawed off though <laughs> bit harsh i've forgotten about um that character who works in his office who um he'd obviously had uh, had slept with. And I think there's, you kind of see him, you see her telling him that she's going to get married mm. and him being like, oh, good for you. Like, really pleased. Uh, and you just it stays on her as like the lift doors close and you see her look absolutely miserable. Mm. And then that's kind of come back to later in the film that he has, yeah, it's not like he's been completely chased and sort of pining widow for like this widower for like the whole period that like, there's kind of like all these kind of little, I think watching, I think the last time I watched it, I was definitely much more like, oh, like, yeah, sad sleazeball, like, shouldn't have done that, but does he really deserve it? And yeah, obviously, like, his punishment is (laughs) (laughs) extremely high. Extreme, bit extreme. Bit extreme. But yeah, it's interesting how kind of just, it does kind of, yeah, kind of tilt lots of, and and how everyone else in the film, like, there are are people who are much worse than him, obviously, like, Mm. uh, Asami's former tutor and her, like, abusive family and stuff. The stuff that she's gone through is so awful. 
and the fact that he would kind of compare his his experiences to hers is like increasingly ridiculous that it's like oh you know like suffered as well kind of like have you though like as much as she has yeah she's lived through a full nightmare she is like there's that line where she says um you know i never really felt that unhappy because i never stopped being unhappy yes and you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah yeah it's devastating in lots of ways i think i think yeah i think what i love about it is every time you watch it you notice little things mm. that could just be yeah just just the character making eye contact at a certain time or what and you can you can decide where your sympathies are going to lie every time because it's not as straightforward as like she's just a demon or you know layers and it's such a meticulous film as well i think that's just i've noticed yeah like you said so many different little things coming back and like the bartender who looks at them uh yes. when they're having a conversation early on coming back yeah. in a dream sequence and stuff yes and yeah i think it's, it's interesting because i think Takashi Miike, like, he's, I think, uh, he's one of those people who I never really, like, know how, like, well-regarded he is kind of outside of, like, I think I do tend to live in a pretty kind of cult movie bubble a lot of the time. Um, but I know that, like, he was not that well-respected in Japan for a long time. I think that's partly why he ended up doing uh, 13 Assassins and Harakiri Death of a Samurai, these kind of, like, very proper kind of Japanese samurai movies. But some of his films are so kind of ludicrous and sort of nasty and unpleasant, and some of them are so brilliantly weird and batshit. And sort of, like, chaos, I think, is often what I associate with Takashi Miike. I think, like, yeah. oh, if you're watching a Takashi Miike movie, it's going to be batshit. Like, it's going to be all over the place and kind of wonderfully so. And then Audition really isn't that. Audition's so carefully made. And patient, like we were talking about the first hour or so before the sack. <laughs> and it is so clever and just how it is. It does, the beginning, it does, yeah, like Hayley was saying, like it does feel like it, should be, it could be the start of like a rom-com, like a meet-cute at an audition. Mm. But yeah, it's just, and that, I think it's the tilt. As soon as he starts investigating her, like everything changes visually. Um, mm. Things get much weirder and sort of cameras suddenly at 45 degree angle. The lighting is suddenly really sickly and pink and suddenly there are tongues flopping about on the floor. <laughs> Yeah, that's the bit of Mika that you kind of think couldn't quite couldn't quite suppress that <laughs> urge to have something mad in there. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think this is definitely my favourite. I just they're just it was just weird just thinking, yeah, she's always in a white dress. Like I think there's only one I think there's any scene where she's in something else completely, but there's one scene where she has a red coat over it. She always looks like that. She always has this long, straight black hair mm. and a white dress. And so so like, yeah, I'm sure you just kind of see her out of the corner of your eye and you're like, there's a ghost. <laughs> I love that. And, and and there's even like, there's the bit where he goes to visit her former tutor and um, the tutor's kind of like laughing at him and saying, and he's, he's kind of almost has like a, um, it's almost like an incantation where he says like, have you seen her? Have you heard her voice? Have you touched her? It almost feels like, it almost feels like something in the ring where it's like, have you watched the video? Have you done this? Like there's something like, that feels like you know these are the steps and if you do them all then mm. you're gonna die kind of thing it, i don't know i can't can't pinpoint it there's something almost ritualistic about that and that okay, yeah. yeah just that, that 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 line of like you keep thinking is it gonna tip supernatural and it doesn't but it almost sort of threatens to yeah, yeah like so, yeah, she's kind of basically living kind of in a uh, japanese horror movie like yeah. she's like sitting in a white dress by the phone kind of hunched over the hair of her face and the, the man in the sack is so kind of ludicrous like kind of impossible in a lot of ways, just sort of kind of hideous what's left of a person living on whatever is in that bowl. Oh, God. Yeah. But it, it has a similar thing. At the beginning, they're chatting about um, Aoyama and his son, maybe. So there's a line about um, everybody in Japan is lonely. And yeah. It's like, I see so many connections. <laughs> yeah, watching all these in a short space of time has really kind of fried my brain, I think. But yes. 
just seeing all these things all these themes coming up over and over again yeah so it's the person he works with i think and he just says like like oh are you lonely and it's like aren't you and yeah the depression they're talking about that kind of movie business kind of falling away and sort of and she's given up on her dreams of being a dancer and stuff everyone's just kind of got this um everyone's lonely and everyone's not where they want to be <laughs> it's just very sad in a lot of ways but then also it's so like wicked <laughs> like it's such a <laughs> it's so kind of nasty like yeah no I think it is brilliant but again I completely see why someone would hate it like I think it's of all the films that we've talked about it's definitely the most divisive I'm sure it has the biggest um twist into something else I guess like if you if you did start watching it and it kind of enjoying that like building romance as they like spend a little bit of time together and they just seem to like each other and it's like oh this is nice and by the time you get to the end you're like that was not nice. <laughs> I could see how someone would be upset by that. Yeah, there's kind of interesting connections with all of them, and I think audition doesn't definitely feels like it stands alone. But I think, as as with like the kind of using J horror tropes, I think it was partly like inspired. The production was inspired because the ring was so successful, and like it does feel like it's part of. It might maybe just put partly because we how we kind of got these movies in the West is sort of like does feel like they're all kind of clumped together, and it was obviously incredibly influential on like a new generation of Western filmmakers. Um, yeah, kind of it feels like the spat pack definitely took a lot from it. And a lot of the French extreme horror movies definitely took a lot from Audition. Mm. Okay, I had that same thing that I had with um, Blair Witch Project, though, where watching it now in high def, and also I think maybe some of these movies have been remastered and brightened up a bit, I was suddenly like, I can see all these details that I didn't get before, and like lots of things that I thought were true or wasn't sure about are now glaringly obvious. <laughs> have this experience a lot where I'm like suddenly I can see these movies properly and uh, <laughs> they're not what I thought they were I know there's a reflection in the ring that I'd never noticed until yes. like, was, when she's in the TV like very early on um, yeah. just standing in the background I was like I don't think I'd ever seen that because I'd watched it on like a really scuzzy DVD and just, like... <laughs> you're like shit <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> I think it's probably the remake's fault when you think about like the memes and the kind of just cultural osmosis version of the ring that you have it's like she comes out the tv and she rings you up and says seven days or whatever after you watch the video and it's like in the film that is not true yeah, she not say anything all. like yeah. it happened she doesn't say anything the phone only rings when they're at the cabin mm-hmm. and nowhere else yeah. um and she only comes out the tv once the other guys like die the kids at the beginning they're in a car mm-hmm. and one of them's on a motorbike so like there was no climbing out of any screen whatsoever they just uh I don't know what happened. We don't know what happened. Um, I just thought that was weird how like we've really like got stuck on those details and yet yeah, really none of them are in it. Yeah, that's really interesting. We're all just bad at watching films. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting watching like I think because we're, we're going to be looking at more kind of Asian horror movies from uh, from this era, and I think it kind of blew my mind a bit how quickly some of them that I think of as being kind of quite ring influenced kind of thing like Tale of Two Sisters and The Eye kind of kind of come very quickly on the heels of all these movies but I think it'd be really interesting to watch some of these films from other countries and seeing whether these kind of themes that we notice kind of keep popping up I think that's that's something that I hadn't really I think any other I think like you said Sarah just like a result of watching them all in like a big bunch Mm. oh yeah like these obviously everyone's very concerned about these very big societal issues that were obviously like really pressing at that time but whether that was like a uniquely japanese thing whether it's kind of um something i kind of see in other yeah other movies from that era yeah i don't know because i basically only watch horror movies (laughs) (laughs) i don't know Hayley, any any thoughts on that like in uh, other genres of um japanese films from that time like are these kind of things coming up there as well i think so yeah definitely there's a huge sense of around the millennium really there's a huge sense of uh anxiety for the future that's really 
you've gone through a decade of a stagnant economy and also the Asian financial crisis as well. And a lot of feelings of what is our society, what is out there for us? I mean, the salary man dream is dead, but there's nothing really taking its place. And then I think particularly with a lot of these horror films are quite female-led and they deal with ideas of uh, maternity and what is the role of the mother in a society. And maybe the role of the mother is changing because more women want to go to work but then obviously there aren't a lot of jobs and that kind of sense of okay where are we going now is there something for us or not I think you definitely have those ideas in mainstream cinema and in indie cinema as well as in horror cinema I think they are just quite prevalent across uh, but then you also have like really cheerful comedies where nobody is upset about anything or worried <laughs> I mean you do have both ends of the spectrum yeah and, and and horror, I think we've said this before, but horror tends to be the genre where, you know, all those anxieties end up and, and they, you know, get turned into ghosts or whatever. But that's where you kind of stuff all your worries is <laughs> put it in a horror film. So, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah, it's just really odd. Um, yeah, having that kind of thinking about the way we watched them then, the way we watch mm. them now and like what we know now, what we knew then. And, and, and now, yeah, just how influential it's been, I guess. Like when we were watching them, in like 2000 or 2001 or whatever and like watching an import dvd you were still a lot closer to what was happening whereas yeah now we're like 20 years later i think like especially the technology side of these films uh, you know like a, a ghost making a dial-up modem noise it's still like... really creepy still really creepy <laughs> you'd have to do like an iphone ringtone it's <laughs> it is creepy but it's just really like there's something almost cute about the, the guy setting up his dial-up internet and, and yeah, and being scared of it, and you're like, if only you knew. I mean, I guess technically they're right. The internet has destroyed the world, so yeah, good shout. Oh, that's true. I do like. I think like all the kind of the chunky tech of it, I find really like. I don't know. It might be sort of nostalgia now. There's something like very ta- like nicely tactile mm. about it. I think before like, and then sort of obviously getting into the more creepy stuff that's more kind of. Well, the opposite of tactile is it's interesting kind of noticing kind of, kind of a lot of ghost stories standards but like it feels like it's the influence of a lot of it still really felt kind of beyond the j-horror remake boom which i think was really frantic and short-lived which basically i think lasted from about 2002 to the end of the decade and then sort of just kind of got completely absorbed by i think a lot of the found footage horror movies and now kind of a lot of the art house horror movies that we're kind of having now um like i think ari Aster feels very influenced by japanese horror movies and obviously uh nicholas pache who made the grudge recent grudge movie adapted a novel by um ryu mokari called piercing oh yeah i hadn't put that together interesting which has a lot of similar um needles and things going into people um, and uh, power dynamics i think i was just really really stunned by how quickly like all the i think because we covered basically all the ones that i think of as the big mm. j horror movies and they all came out so quickly just seems completely bizarre but they all like you know even even the grudge which i think is, is the worst one is is not a is a very fun movie and i enjoy it a lot and i think it's interesting yeah it can't it seems yeah like a really short and incredibly creative span of time i guess stuff happens like that i guess i think when we look at like the like torture porn ones or whatever, like they're going to be like, like just for a couple of years, like yeah, one a year or three in a year or something. Okay, let's let's as as a final uh, thought experiment. If you had to, if you could only keep one of these movies, which one would it be? Oh, that's really tough. I think it's either Audition or Dark Water or the First Hour of Pulse. I think probably Audition. I think Dark Water, like, I think I really like it, but I think Audition's one that I could keep going back to and finding new things. 
But obviously, if it's a ghost one, then dark water. I go for pulse, I think. Just that sense of eeriness, I think it's really powerful. Oh, sorry, Ring. Sorry, Grudge. <laughs> Nobody wants you. <laughs> okay, so next time we will talk about some more, I guess, because there's loads more in this loads more in this uh, genre to look at in the next few years. And um, we can look at some remakes. And who knows? Um, thank you so much for being here, Haley, and, and bringing us your, your knowledge. Yeah, thank you so much. Where can people uh, find you if they want to find out more? I've got a website called Windows on Worlds. So you just go to windowsonworld.com. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>